So we have this shame for being human and we want to be God. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't work that way. It's the other way around. We become God by fully owning the depth, which also includes the ugliness of our humanity. And realizing that ultimately, when we come from a higher consciousness, there is no such thing as ugly or shameful or bad. It's all good. The only thing that is, quote, bad is our unconsciousness. Welcome to The Art of Humanity. I'm your host, Jessica Ann. This is my podcast where you can listen for fresh perspectives with artists, leaders, authors, and your favorite entrepreneurs. You can explore creativity and consciousness, evolve your business with the art of humanity. Now, here's this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of the art of humanity. I'm just going to get right into a brief intro so that we can get to my guest. The Bhagavad Gita warns that when the mind is guided by the wandering senses, then it carries away one's understanding, as does the wind a ship on the water. Wandering senses, it happens all the time in modern society. When we get hungry, our wandering senses wonder what we can eat. When we get cold, we may want to turn up the heat. But what happens when the mind is not guided by wandering senses? You can go deep, really deep within. Which, what's the point of going deep? It helps us to access any of our unresolved trauma that's hidden deep within the confines of our unconsciousness. My guest today really knows how to peel back the layers of the unconscious. She's super fascinating and she's fasted for 40 days. And as someone that loves minimalism, I was thinking that that's the ultimate minimalism with food. We can get rid of our clothes, we can get rid of negative thoughts, but food, fasting and intermittent fasting, are all the rage right now, and my guest today shines some light on this topic. She explains that it's the shame of being human is what often holds us back, and how we can become gods by fully owning the depth. And ultimately, when we come from a higher consciousness, how everything is good. The only thing that's bad is our unconscious. And there's that word again, conscious and unconscious. How do you know when you're unconscious? I love this quote by Gurdjieff from The Last Hour of Life. He writes, The majority of people find many excuses not to work on themselves. They are in a complete prison of their weaknesses. Understand me right. I do not need followers. I am rather interested in finding the real warriors of the new world. Are you a warrior of the new world? If you're feeling this and are called to work on yourself, there's no better way than through podcasting. I truly believe that podcasting is the path to self-actualization. And this is good news for anyone who's into personal growth and also may want to start a podcast. I've created a course that will not only help you launch, but it'll get your new podcast launched right with monetization on the mind. I want to help you launch successful podcasts and convert existing podcasts into revenue-generating businesses. Join me as I guide you through the steps to launch a successful podcast focused on monetization from day one. For current podcast creators, the Profitable Podcast Course offers strategies to grow your audience and convert your fans into paying monthly subscribers. Using the course's proven tools and weekly group discussion, you'll learn how podcasting can feed each and every part of your business, and most importantly, your soul. To learn more, DM me on socials at beingishuman, or you can shoot me an email at hello at artofhumanity.io with podcast in the subject line. Now let's get to the interview with Alexandra Cousins. In this interview, we discuss the emotional and spiritual energetics of nutrition and Alexandra's new take on self-care, how she went from being a romantic foodie to someone who can now fast for 40 days, yes, that's four zero days, the cellular detox revolution. We also discuss why the more fully expressed we become, the more harshly we will trigger others, how and why she stopped operating from the masculine and how she now surrenders to the feminine, how to become gods by fully owning our depth, why and how to break open and surrender over and over again without shame or without judgment. 
Let's get to today's episode with Alexandra Cousins on embodying divinity. Please note that we do use adult language in this episode, and this should be obvious, but I do want to give a disclaimer that nothing that we say in this interview should be used as medical advice. Please consult your doctor. Let's go to the show. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by someone who aligns with my mission for higher consciousness and, dare I say it, utopia, Alexandra Cousins. Alex's passion has always been in health and human optimization. From the age of five, she was obsessed with finding out what was the source of disease. She grew up believing that so much more was possible for humanity and with a deep connection to the Christ business. Alex's past is deeply varied, having studied Ayurveda and yoga in India in her 20s, working in some of the top spas in the world, as well as stints in high fashion and deep dives into the world of African and South American shamanism. Looking back, she realizes how her own suffering and illness was the greatest teacher, propelling her to keep pushing the edges to carve a radical new way of being. Her teachings are a very unique amalgamation of shamanism, mysticism, and a deep understanding of the human body through her studies of Ayurveda and natural hygiene. Steeped deeply into Christ consciousness and the knowing that we as a species are evolving beyond what we ever thought possible. Everything Alex teaches, she lives fully without compromise, while constantly evolving and refining the process. Alex is a true pioneer in her field and has the ability to guide people through massive transformations in a deeply authentic way. Her ways are simple. She works totally intuitively and with full presence with the focus of giving her clients a firsthand experience of what it feels like to become the embodiment of their divine and highest self. Living mucus-free is the culmination of Alex's journey. Healing herself through cellular detoxification and deep personal development has allowed her to experience a whole new level of health and vitality that has altered her whole reality. Her passion is in bringing this knowledge out to the public and spreading it far and wide. Alex, thank you so much for joining me on The Art of Humanity. Thank you, Jessica, for having me. So Alex, there are so many fads and trends out there today around detox and cleansing. And it's so fascinating. And, you know, we first met about three years ago in a business mastermind together. And since then, I've just been following you a little bit over the years. And I really love what you're up to. There's a part of me that is very skeptical, (laughs) to be honest. And it's very much kind of a resistance type of emotion that comes up to it. Mostly maybe because, you know, I love food. At the same time, I definitely have seen how my mind and body have shifted when I do juice fasting. You know, I I pretty much do that almost every day. I drink green juice and all that good stuff, and I don't go to the extremes that you go to. But I'm so curious to dive in deeper and, you know, talk about the emotional and spiritual energetics of nutrition and food because you really have a whole new take on self-care. So let's go back to the beginning. You said this journey around five or six years ago, I think, and I'm really curious how you first got into this work. Yeah, so I I always, you know, I like to say I was dragged by my hair. (laughs) It's not like I willingly gave up all the wonderful foods that I used to also enjoy. I was a total foodie. I grew up in Italy and, you know, Italian food, as we know it, is considered one of the best in the world. And it was my passion. I cooked it. And then when I came to South Africa, I continued to be a foodie on all fronts. And I like to say I was a romantic foodie, meaning I was eating a diet that was, you know, your typical sort of organic, you know, the meats and organic farming and butter and, you know, so all the things that we normally consider like a really clean diet. And I thought I was doing all the right things. And I was so proud of myself and my health crashed. And it crashed really badly. And it had crashed before off and on. But this was kind of the final straw. And I realized that it was my call to action and to really deepen my connection to my body, which ultimately brought me to my connection to my deepest spirituality, which I had been on this path for many years, but somehow, you know, things weren't quite falling into place. And so it was really my body that showed me what I needed to work on and where I was disconnected. And through the journey, I realized that a lot of hiding was happening through the eating and through the 
covering up emotions because the reality is, as we all know, when you are on edge, when you are either anxious or stressed out from work, once you have a what we consider, quote, nice meal, you feel good, you feel settled, and everything just kind of goes, ah, oh, right? And all the stressors that you may be experiencing previously, or same thing with a nice glass of wine, you know, nice piece of cheese, a filet, whatever, a pasta with bacon and egg, you know, that kind of meal makes you forget everything. And then maybe top it off with a nice dessert, and the world is in peace and in order again. Until, of course, the next day. <laughs> until you get hungry again. Until you get hungry again and until you face the next day. And then so we go. And then the next day we need a coffee because we can't wake up. You know, and, and this was me for many, many years. Through this necessity of then cleansing the body because nothing else was working, I had exhausted all my possibilities and doctors didn't know how to help me. You know, I just, I'd spent so much money with functional medicine doctors and naturopaths and all of that. And so I knew, okay, a completely new way needs to be looked at. And so I found fasting, I found natural hygiene, I unwillingly but started the, the process and with a lot of resistance and also with a lot of fear, if you will. But what I discovered after my first 40-day fast was that everything had changed, not only my state of health, but also my way of thinking and emoting as well as relating to my body and really to the whole world because I started seeing how everything is interrelated. Wait, you said 40-day fast. I have to stop you right there. 40, that's 4-0, 40-day fast. 4-0, yes. Wow, yes, that is a long time to fast. <laughs> yeah. You say it like it's no big yeah. deal. <laughs> Well, I mean, back then, when I did my first 40-day fast, in the meantime, I've just completed a seventh round. I only did 31 days this time because I was then called to switch to greens. Mm -hmm. But this would have been my seventh round of 40 days. And each round is absolutely incredible and brings new, not just physical healings, but really deep emotional and spiritual healing. When I did it the first time, I also felt, you know, I felt like I had climbed the Everest and I felt that, wow, I've done 40 day fasting, you know, now my whole life will be different. My health will be different. And it was, but there was more work to be done. Mm. And so it was really the process that taught me about the body. And it, it just threw all my other head knowing out the window, all of it piece by piece. And I was so proud of the knowledge that I had acquired, you know, through Ayurveda and then even just holistic health and, you know, all the things that we sort of commonly look at the knowledge, you know, even slightly alternative knowledge, because in some ways, you know, paleo keto back then was a little bit more alternative than it is mm -hmm. now. And all of that just got thrown out the window piece by piece. And not because I was learning it from a book, but because I was learning it in my body and in my consciousness. Wow. And that was really the biggest revelation. Yeah. I love that you described yourself as a romantic because I think there's a lot of that going on today, you know, with the paleo movement and the keto movement, bulletproof, you know, people like to think that, you know, the grass fed beef and all this stuff. And I'm not judging, you know, anyone. <laughs> Everyone has to find their own way. But can you talk a little bit about, how you, your, your own personal journey, kind of how you've strayed away from that, going from a romantic foodie into someone that does a 40-day detox. How is it a different mindset that you had to grasp a hold of? And how did you find that path to go from, you know, whether it was, you know, not drinking wine or coffee for one week to where you are today? And how has it shifted your evolution? And how has it helped you kind of get out of your mind and more into your body? So first of all, you know, again, I would never have done this or never have started the path had I not been ill. I don't think I would have. But because I didn't have any choice and because what I was doing wasn't working, I had to look at other possibilities. And once I started having this experience after my first 40-day fast of really feeling radically better, 
And my mindset shifted around what nutrition is. And I realized that all the foods, the romantic foods that we feed ourselves with, the animal products, I realized that those are stimulants for the body, which is what natural hygiene teaches. And before that, it didn't make any sense. I couldn't comprehend it from a mind perspective. I had to experience it in my body. Because before that, I thought, well, you know, I only have one coffee a day and it's the best coffee, you know, self-ground and everything was so-called the best. And so I kept justifying it. And only once I experienced how I actually felt once I came off all of those stimulants, and the first realization is that, wow, when I'm not on all those stimulants, I am nothing. I have zero energy. I'm basically like a completely dead battery. So where is my own life force? And of course, because of you know my previous knowledge and, and sort of understanding of energy, all things are energy, I was able to make that connection and to say to myself, well, if you can't function without any of these foods, where's your life force? Where's your connection to the primordial energy that brought you here in the first place? And I realized there was no connection. It was literally like my batteries were dead and the connective sort of tissues, the connective receptors were not functioning. And so initially it was that experience and sort of a horrified experience of like, oh my goodness, I thought I was kind of sick, but actually I am really deeply sick. So that is what then ultimately, you know, gave me, yeah, kind of the push to fast more and to really clean up my diet with colonics and herbs and and then fruit fasting and juice fasting and, and, you know, really cleaning up the body systematically and learning how to do that. And the realization was that previously with this so-called romantic diet, I was filling myself up on stimulants and hormones and caffeine and all of that. And my body was running off the stimulants, but at the same time, the stimulants were further taking away life force from me. And that was quite, yeah, it was like, wow, you know, this is what we're doing. Yeah. So take me through the, I know that listeners may be wondering exactly that because I know for me, I'm on a journey to, you know, not drink alcohol. And once you kind of limit one thing from your diet, you realize how much of our nervous system or our minds are programmed to crave things and how much of life all we're doing is just going from one craving to the next, not really being run by this primordial energy that you say that as we evolve our humanity, we need this primordial energy to be at the base of our foundation. Otherwise, we are just being, we're mere programs flitting from one thing to the next. So, you know, recently I made the switch and I stopped drinking alcohol. I don't drink wine. I don't drink any alcohol. And it's been about three months now. And, you know, and then slowly I'm still drinking coffee, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm just curious, like, what did you start with? Did you start with wine? Did you start with coffee? Did, and then you eventually had limited foods. Like what is the gradual process to getting to a four, 40 day detox? You know, I want to just preface this question and this episode with like, I am not a doctor or a medical expert. So use your own judgment when hearing any of this medical advice. Well, I mean, I pretty much dove in. I mean, yes, I took away gluten and I stopped the wine, but I was still eating eggs and a little bit of protein here and there in forms of animal produce. So I didn't have the luxury that I give most of my clients especially, you know, when they're not really sick, when they don't have a chronic or sort of semi, not terminal, but, you know, chronic or acute illness, then we dive right in. There's no time to waste. But when people do have the luxury to go in slower, then we definitely do a gradual shift. And so we start taking away the alcohol. And then typically coffee tends to be a really hard one. And I know it was, yeah. My husband also struggled for a long time. He would go, you know, two, three months without a coffee and then he would go back. And so it was very much a back and forth. 
And that's how, again, we see how deeply addictive these substances are. And of course, they're not just addictive from a chemistry point of view, but it's, it's a culture. And so it's really a mindset. It's, it's a mind hook. And so coffee is, is one of the hardest, but we have ways. And of course, you know, the glutens and animal products. And so it is a step-by-step process. And what's important is to really become conscious of the consciousness behind each food group that we let go of. And so, for example, dairy, which also tends to be very hard for people, dairy operates in the body very similar to opiates. And so it is deeply satisfying and kind of soothing. And in some ways, you know, we love dairy because we still haven't weaned off our mother's breast. And because all of us are missing the deep nurturance from the mother, whether that is the physical mother that was our birth mother, or in a greater sense, we are missing the deep nurturance and connection to Mother Earth. And so we are constantly looking for substitutes, and we all do that. Wow. Is that based in like Freudian <laughs> psychology, or, or, you know, how did you come to that realization? It seems so simple when you say it, and it's very logical, but I'm curious, like, what is the, is there a direct teacher or psychologist who made that connection? <laughs> Just you? <laughs> no, it was simply, yeah, it was an experience where I realized, oh my God, and I, I was a big cheese lover. Milk wasn't so much my thing, but cheese. And, and I realized, what is it? And it's this num, num, num you know, oh, uh, satisfaction. It gives some satisfaction because we all are actually so dissatisfied from a deep cellular soul feeding level. We are all looking for so much satisfaction. And so whether we look for that in your morning cappuccino, in the cheese that we eat, in the cheese sandwich, or the shopping, it's we're constantly looking for to be satisfied. And because we are so dissatisfied and disconnected. And initially, again, it's, it's shocking to observe that, you know, and you think, my goodness, I thought I was an adult. I thought I was, you know, a complete person to some degree. And so when all of these weaknesses get exposed and you start seeing the mental patterns and addictions and they are deep and they are subtle and sticky. And so that's, it's humbling. It really is so humbling. And you mentioned these mind hooks and it's so fascinating because I've done, you know, one day fasting. I have definitely not done more than one day. You know, in that one day, there's like a melancholy and like a sadness that kind of comes over me and I just crave something to fill the void. (laughs) And it's like, we're always kind of numbing to fill that. We're numbing or purchasing or eating or drinking something to fill that void. And, you know, is it possible? And I know that you are currently living in South Africa. You're about to move to Bali. And I'm curious where, you know, your physical location or how your physical location has shaped your evolution because I'm still living in the States and I just dream someday of living in Bali or somewhere cool because the great reason it's very hard to remove ourselves from this culture of drinking and socializing and going to get coffee. And it seems from the outside, like it would be a bit easier if you are living in a place like Bali or South Africa, where you are, you know, a little bit removed from the programming of the American culture. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So I I lived in the States and studied there for seven years. So I know exactly what you mean. Not that Europe is any much different. And to some degree, the culture you know, the foodie culture is very strong in South Africa as well. And it certainly is very strong in Bali as well. And yet what was easier in South Africa was the fact that South Africa, it's Africa. And so it's not part of the first world. And so it was easier to slow down and to go internal instead of being constantly externally driven like we are in the Western world. And I strongly feel, you know, I was called 
very strongly to come to South Africa 15 years ago. I had never been, I didn't know where I was going. And yet I knew that this was the place where my healing journey and not just, well, my healing journey and my studies were going to be completed. And I was shown all of that. And so South Africa has been my incubator. And I realized once my healing was complete, then it was time to bring this incubation that has happened out into the world. And yeah, I don't think it would have been possible to sort of, yeah, get all the knowledge or or the experience, experience and knowledge that I have gained from being here as well as from being sick. You know, I realized my, my disease was my university. Mm. Wow. That's beautiful. And that's so incredible that you're able to use, you know, something like disease to transform not just yourself, but help so many others and guide the way and be a pioneer in this new cellular detox revolution that you're cultivating and creating. So yeah, I really commend you on that. And it's fascinating. Yeah. And it brings me back to one of my favorite books, the Bhagavad Gita. There's a quote in there that says, when the mind is guided by the wandering senses, then it carries away one's understanding as does the wind a ship on the water. You know, my process has been a gradual tripping away, (laughs) you know, very much. I was a material girl in a, you know, purpose-driven world. And it's very challenging to kind of let go of everything all at once. You know, it kind of wreaks havoc on your nervous system and it makes you question your identity. And I've done that over time. You know, I've become a minimalist or I've gone through many different iterations of being minimalist and just letting go of the material possessions, the designer, luxury, Louis Vuitton bags, which I still do have and I do love them, but they don't define me like they once did. When On one of my birthdays, it was like the ultimate satisfaction to purchase my own Louis Vuitton bag and I could prance around the city showing it off. And that was like my identity for so many years. And it's just so like, it's humorous now, really, because it's like we are not these identities. We are not these personalities. Once you kind of access this higher level of consciousness, everything kind of becomes hilarious. And it's like, wow, like we are so much more. We're these deep, beautiful souls that have no basis on materialism. So can you speak a little bit to maybe people listening that um, is this gradual stripping away of everything that is external and really just going deep inward in the process? Yeah, I mean, in my experience, you know, I've come to really understand that everything that we experience is divine. So when I look back, as much as I had moments when I looked back to my materialism and I would judge myself for it, now I go, wow, Alex, you lived your materialism so well. You know, like you went in there, you really did it. And you got from it what you needed. So, wow, you know, and and you evolved from it. And so in some ways, I feel like also I've been everything. Well, everything. There's still so much more. I mean, there's infinite beings that we can be, right? Infinite reiterations. But I feel like I've been so many versions. I've been the loser. I've been the sick one. I've been the one with eating disorder. I've been the bipolar one. I've been the clever one, you know, blah, 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 all these different versions. And I realize every single version, every single experience was divine. And that there is no one that is better or worse or higher or lower because ultimately Every single piece brought me to the now. And that's taken me quite a while to really get this well-rounded feeling of myself because I feel for so many years I was judging myself and I was separating myself into this was good, this was bad, higher, lower, or here I had lower consciousness, now I have higher consciousness. And to realize, no, I don't even know where I am, who I am, am I higher, am I lower? I have no idea. All I know is I'm happy, I'm connected, I feel whole, and that's it. You know, and then whatever that means, I have no idea. 
In fact, I feel like the deeper that I go on this journey, the less I know because as we go deeper on this journey of, you know, really just it's full self-expression, full self-expression and full self-acceptance. And so as I become fully expressed, inevitably, and this is true for all of us, we will also disturb others with our full expression. We trigger, I mean, it's triggering for a lot of people. It is. It is. And I'm going to say it again. The more fully expressed we become, the more harshly we will trigger others. And in that triggering, it is so easy to A, take the triggering on and then shrink and go on a whole cycle of questioning yourself, or that you then kind of turn it into a source of power because you're triggering others and then you go into still ego being driven by ego whereas the trick is sort of seeing not letting anything disturb you I mean taking the disturbance and metabolizing it within yourself and then going well I don't know what I'm doing all I know is I am following my highest truth and it sits well with me and that's all I know because that's all we can do. Mm, totally. And one of the ways that you get there is through inner alignment always. And it's kind of this trusting, deep, deep surrendering and deep trusting that your higher self will guide you every step of the way. It's a scary, humbling process because you're only trusting your inner authority. You're not listening to psychic of the day or your friends or your family or what society tells you to do, you're only trusting yourself. So it's a scary process at first. And does it get easier over time? And has it been easier over time for you and your husband to only trust yourself? And how has it been having a partner on the inner journey with you? Um, you have a husband and a beautiful partnership. So I'd love to learn more about how you've been able to cultivate such a divine, sacred communion in your personal transformation? Well, I would say that's been the highest gift of all to be able to do it with a partner that has been, you know, nothing but supportive and just the most beautiful mirror. And of course, we've been through lots of ups and downs in our relationship, but they're similar to the personal process. You know, once you realize there is no good, there is no bad, it's all just grist for the mill and it's all just part of the process and so even when say I would project onto him in the moment that I was projecting I could own my projection even if in the moment I couldn't do anything but project mm -hmm. right and so meaning you were aware that you were projecting and you just brought awareness to it yes mm -hmm. I couldn't help it you know so maybe like I would and I would still say sort of like the nasty thing that I said, but instead of doing it unconsciously, I did it consciously, owning it, owning the fact that in that moment, that was the best that I could do and opening myself up to the knowing that this is not the whole truth that's going on. There is more that's going on that I have no idea about yet. And so then we constantly open to the mystery and that is what helped us through. And to realize, well, if we are together, if we are going through what we're going through together, it's because it is leading us somewhere. And by keeping that mystery open is how we've just loved ourselves through everything. And so now at this stage, you know, as much as, of course, you know, are we done? No, never. There's always more grist for the mill. So what I'm getting at is similar as in the detox process, similar as in the personal process, when you take away judgment, when you take away shame, when you take away the idea that life should always be blissful, then everything is bliss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's so... It's such a revelation <laughs> when you come to that realization. You know, I talk about this in episode 35 with Richard Rudd. We go deep into the shadow side of humanity and how that elevates our consciousness. 
it's fascinating because, you know, the future of consciousness is really going beyond the mind. It's using our shadows, using these projections to evolve. Has Richard Rudd's work been key to your journey as well? I know that he's inspiring for a lot of the spiritual seekers out there. (laughs) So I'm curious to hear your take and how he's helped you evolve. Yeah, absolutely. He's been hugely inspiring and instrumental. In fact, I have a beautiful interview with him as well, where we go deep into food and nutrition and, you know, all of that. But I would say reading my gene keys and then receiving a reading from Andrew Fratvel, who has worked for many years with Richard Rudd and sort of was one of the first people to really deeply work alongside Richard. And once I received a reading from Andrew, sort of everything that I always felt about myself and sort of intuited fell into place as a firm knowing. And then that helped me, it just helped me trust myself. You know, it was like, okay, yeah, I always felt that about me. But well, we're exposed to so much confusion. And in a sense, the world, whether it's the education that we go through, or, you know, just the general consensus is not fostering our unique self, but rather we are constantly being compared to others, compared to certain standards. And so it is. it becomes very, very difficult to trust your unique self. And that's where I find the gene keys have so deeply rooted me in the knowing that I can trust my unique self. Absolutely. One of his more prophetic ideas is the 55th gene gate in his book. And it explains how we're evolving into a homo sanctus or a blessed human as the new genetic human vehicle and why we must have a new body to house its new frequencies. I love how your work kind of cuts to the core of his work. It intersects really with his work because in order to house these new frequencies, we need to be detoxing. (laughs) We need to be making sure that our body, our vessel can house these new frequencies. So is there a direct correlation between getting into the blessed human, evolving into this blessed human and fasting? Well, that was exactly my experience. In fact, I first got the book, I think around the time that I did my first fast. And, you know, I mean, fasting can make you incredibly high. (laughs) <laughs> or rather, mm-hmm. it can make you incredibly connected and then we can perceive that is high because compared to where we are normally, which is low and in our lower frequencies, so that's where the high and low comes from, but actually it's simply being connected. And so I remember during my fast having exactly that experience and feeling like, wow, we are turning into crystalline beings. That is the process. We are literally turning into butterflies and going through this metamorphosis whilst alive. So we're not evolving. You know, we don't have to evolve by dying and coming back again, but we can do it whilst alive. And then I read the 55th Jinky. In fact, it was a friend who suggested, oh, you need to read Richard Rudd's Jinky book. And then he said, you know, Jinky 55, and that's where I started. And when I read that, I think that is what gave me sort of the last push to fully trust this detox path. And of course, you know, back then it sounded even crazier (laughs) than it does now because it was even less information. But there was just this deep inner knowing and deep inner excitement that I was touching upon something that was really, really profound. Hmm. It's very profound and it, it may sound crazy to people out there. It's a difference in a different level of our evolution time on earth. A lot of the Jinkies work is a process and it doesn't happen overnight, you know, and I find that the process of going from the caterpillar to a butterfly is just so deeply humbling and, and it's very much like you don't have to die in this lifetime and come back. We can die and be reborn again at any point in time. And this has a lot to do with that Christ consciousness and the divinity that lives in the present moment, this beautiful moment right now. It's just in us all and we're transmuting and evolving as quickly as we'd like and as quickly as our bodies can handle. You know, and there's a deep mystery hiding beneath our lives. So 
you mentioned that there are many different iterations on our timelines right now. And I know you're moving to Bali and, um, you know, there are all these different energies kind of that are helping us and supporting us. And then we also have the life is just so completely beautiful and humbling. And I saw your post recently about, you know, how the masculine can be raping the feminine. And, you know, you talk about how everything needs to be burnt away and fully trusted and how your method for total alignment is just the beginning of it. And you go into detail about talking about how the masculine force makes stuff happen. You can use your willpower and hustle and sure, stuff will manifest. And then you go into detail and you talk about how the feminine energy will needs to kind of come to life. So let's talk a little bit about the masculine and feminine energies and plays a role into doing all this good stuff. Yeah, well, for me, everything has been my own experience and my own revelation to myself. So what I share, I feel like we can only ever share what we've been through. And I definitely, in the last sort of nine months, I feel my biggest process has been to allow myself to fall into the arms of the feminine and to let go of operating from the masculine. And I mean, this is still a process that's underway. I feel, you know, I don't know where I'm in the process, but I'm somewhere where at least I'm aware. I'm aware when I'm operating from the masculine. I'm aware when fear drives me and then the masculine wants to take over. It's the pushing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the beauty is that now I see it and I catch it a lot sooner. And then the minute that you're aware and that you catch it, then you can go, okay, just take a breath and surrender. And then it's another death, just as with an orgasm where just before it's this, okay, and then there's the letting go and here it comes. And I feel it's very similar. And in fact, before we started traveling and going to Bali and doing our retreats, I had this beautiful experience where I felt like now I am finally riding on God's cock. That was the image. <laughs> and wow. it was this feeling of now you are impaled on Shiva's cock, on the divine cock, and you're riding joyfully where that takes you in surrender. And to me, that is the feminine being completely open to the masculine, but because the feminine fully trusts herself and trusts where she's going and trusts her boundaries and trusts what she desires and what she says no to and all of that. And I feel we're all on that journey of discovering, well, of allowing our most primordial desire and energy to fully manifest. And the masculine is simply in service of that energy. It's not the other way around. Wow. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I think it's almost like you need to have an embodied experience of that to fully wrap your mind around that or your legs around God's cock. <laughs> so it's interesting. So when you describe that, it's like you mentioned like the orgasm, it's kind of this like you're riding the wave of the pulsations of life and you're surrendering in each moment to every feeling and emotion that comes up, you know, and it can be fear just because we do have this higher consciousness or we think we have this, our ego wants us to think we have this evolved higher consciousness doesn't mean that we are against all the lower emotions and frequencies, you know, it's reassuring and refreshing to hear you have these human emotions as we all do, you know, but at the same time, we are these human gods. We are human in God form. We are bodhisattvas. I truly, genuinely in my heart believe that we are on the path of awakening and through whatever form that may take. The Buddhists believe in Buddha. There are people that believe in Jesus. Whatever form that may take, I think that we are all on this process of becoming God. I know that is a pretty divisive thought for like people who are maybe religious fanatics or so may not resonate with that thought process or mindset, but it's an embodied experience that once you have that experience, you truly become a believer in a way. <laughs> so I definitely resonate with the riding God's cock <laughs> analogy. Yeah. They're also, it's not something 
I feel so much of spirituality and this whole work of evolution has been about, oh, let me teach you how to get there because I am there and you're not. And that's not what this is about. Mm -hmm. We all inevitably will get there. It is our destiny to get there. And every obstruction, every pain, every suffering is simply a gift to be deeply cherished and wrapped open because that is what takes you to the next level. And I feel in this whole spiritual evolution process, coaching, da-da-da, you know, that whole world, there is this kind of undercurrent of wanting to show how arrived and how perfect and how aligned and so forth we are. But that is not where our power lies. Our power lies in how surrendered can you be in the breaking open and in your vulnerability over and over and over and over again without being ashamed of that part. Mm. So true. Yeah, it is. It's letting go of the shame. It's the shame of being human. So we have this shame for being human and we want to be God. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't work that way. It's the other way around. We become God by fully owning the depth, which also includes the ugliness of our humanity. And realizing that ultimately, when we come from a higher consciousness, there is no such thing as ugly or shameful or bad. It's all good. The only thing that is, quote, bad is our unconsciousness. Absolutely. And when you do these meditations, it helps us just bring awareness to it. And once we have that point of reflection, awareness, contemplation, then we can bring light into the shame. And then we can do the divine dance where you're not sure if you're dancing or you're surrendering. It's all one lovely magical dance, the dream and the dreamer. And there is nothing except the divine running through our veins, coursing through our bodies. And it's a beautiful experience. So how often are you able to tap into this divine ecstatic state of being? Is it regularly every day, a few hours every day? Or are you just living and breathing this divine ecstasy in every moment? <laughs> Well, I do feel, I mean, certainly on a daily basis, there's points of rupture and there's points of bliss. But what has changed is that, as I was saying before, there is no more separation. There is no more, oh, I like this and I don't like that. This is good and this is bad. That has disappeared, or rather, it is disappearing more and more and more. And yet, at the same time, do I also still have moments, as I was saying earlier, I have moments when for a moment I fall into fear, for a moment I fall into suffering. But even in the moment of suffering, it's not like, oh my God, I'm suffering. It's like, oh, I'm suffering. Yes. Let me cherish this moment, not as in give me more suffering, but as in I know there's rapture beyond the suffering because once I stop resisting the suffering and I just allow it in and to crack me open, then the gift is revealed and then there is ecstasy. Beautiful, beautiful. Again, I think speaking to a lot of the new age spiritual quote unquote gurus out there, there is a lot of the addiction to the light and the formlessness. And I was working with a somatic therapist and, you know, I am very much addicted to that light, addicted to the formlessness. And recently I've been able to just have a deep state of compassion for myself instead of judgment. It comes in the form of compassion now. So like the ability of your emotions and to go from judgment to compassionate to compassion it's just the most liberating experience because I can hold a place of compassion for that girl, that woman inside of me that loves the light and then bring that into the vessel of my body and actually transmute it and have these conversations with people like you because I am a body. I'm not just this light floating around. Like I have to be sitting in a studio with you for an hour having this conversation in order to be the light. <laughs> so it's a beautiful thread of consciousness when you can kind of work your way up the human map of consciousness and get to a place. And there's always going to be a next evolution. I'm not saying I'm fully there yet. I'm just saying like that's been my experience and it's been beautiful. And I love sharing these moments with leaders like you who are educating and bringing awareness to the our human in different ways and unique ways. 
So thank you so much for your work in the world. What is next for you? I know you have a big move coming up, so I'd love to hear more about what's in the pipeline for you. Yeah, well, this was just cold when we went to Bali. It was very clear that that's where we were meant to be. So we're going to be opening our first detox center, detox and regeneration center in Bali. But the bigger plan is to move two islands down from Bali to, we haven't quite decided yet if it's Sumba or Sumbawa, and to basically create a community, but not a community sort of in the old sense, a modern community of people who want to live in a way that is completely steeped deeply in pristine nature and have a detoxification center and where people can buy homes and really live deeply steeped in pristine nature but still very luxuriously as in barefoot luxury and with a school for children and all of that. And the beauty from there of being able to live this very simple life is that in an hour's time, you're in Bali, and in a couple hours' time, you're in places like Singapore and Hong Kong, and so you're still plugged into the world. And so that is our vision to create these hubs around the world where people can live in pristine nature and live the detoxification lifestyle, because in many ways, that is our highest luxury. To be able to live this kind of life has become a necessity. It's a little bit like in the 80s, everybody had to have a pool. And then sort of a couple of years ago, everybody had to have a sauna. And all these practices, these practices of natural hygiene have become a necessity because our world is so toxic. And so until we're able to completely change things around, which is happening, but until we're able to change things around on a global level, we need to sort of retire in these pristine niches of the world so that we can preserve ourselves and grow our energy field and then go out and do the work that is necessary to assist the rest of the world. So that is the plan. That's awesome. I love it. Barefoot luxury in Bali. Amazing. So where can listeners go to find more of your work online? So they can find my work on www.livingmucusfree.com. Living Mucus Free is also the handle or the Instagram. So yeah, that's the easiest. It's quite an easy name to remember. And also we're going to be launching our own product line in December, which will be assisting people to detoxify and regenerate their body in a systematic way. So yeah, big things in the pipeline coming. Thank you so much for joining me, Alexandra. Yeah, thank you, Jessica. It was wonderful. And I love your questions and the way I always love what comes out of a podcast, what comes out of an interview. And it felt very, very deep and nourishing for me to share. Thank you. Likewise. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> you made it to the end of this podcast. This means the world to me. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Feel free to hop on over to my podcast website, artofhumanity.io, for show notes or past interviews. You can also message me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My name is Jessica Ann, and my handle is beingishuman. That's B-E-I-N-G-I-S-H-U-M-A-N. I'd love to hear from you and learn more about what you've enjoyed from this episode. If you really love this podcast, I'd highly appreciate it if you went on Apple Podcasts right now and left a review. It helps way more than you know. You can also share this episode with two of your friends who you think would enjoy it. Let's get the Art of Humanity movement going. Thank you for listening. Until the next episode, evolve your business with the Art of Humanity. Listen, explore, evolve.